do not tell yourself oh my god oh my god what am i doing everyone is moving on i'm i'm stuck in this uh, in this hole and i'm not moving no you're moving because this is also part of the process hey there welcome back to another episode of karishma connect urf kari connect and i'm super 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 happy to be sharing this episode with y'all because i've been planning this since the time i started season 2 Now that's because you know I had just finished my master's thesis and it was a highly transformative process there's so much that you go through but I felt like not many people talk about this not many people get into researchers lives or find out what are the struggles they are going through whereas those are many some that you can't even imagine and also the fact that what they are researching about is often just left in those mammoth books that people don't bother to read and that's exactly why I got Gauri Parashar with me this month on Karishma Connect and i have to thank abhishekha who's the biker who featured on our series as well for this opportunity because he connected me to this lovely person who shares her experience about pursuing a phd but even if you're not pursuing a phd this particular episode is going to teach you a lot of life skills so go watch it out and i will be there next time until then karishma connect urf kari connect So firstly thank you so much Gauri for joining me on Kari Connect Karishma Connect now as I would like to call it I'm I'm sort of getting used to calling it Karishma Connect <laughs> and I would firstly like you to you know sort of introduce yourself and in a nutshell tell me about so Gauri is a researcher for those who are watching this and I want you to tell them what exactly is your topic what are you doing and the likes of it yeah and i really appreciate it because um, really do people think about uh, the process of the research uh, rather than its contents so for for a change i'm very happy to talk about the process <laughs> the contents of I'm my glad. research <laughs> um so i my name is gauri parashar um i've just completed uh, a phd in history from the university of heidelberg i am currently appointed as uh, what i think you would call it a lecturer in indian terms um right. in at the university of trier in germany so both okay. these universities are in germany um and i am also besides teaching i'm also currently preparing Uh, a new project so i'm a historian um yes. and i um i'm interested in or rather you would call me a specialist of early modern history so that's right. the period from uh, 1500s till 1800 so 1500 till 1800 that covers roughly three centuries and um my phd research was on french colonialism uh, in india Uh, during the 18th century so i was really looking at how the french came how they established themselves and how french colonial rule started in french india now french india is composed of four to five uh, territories uh, that the french acquired uh, on along the coasts of india in the late 17th and 18th centuries and i examined how rule uh, developed there um right. i was specifically looking at the history of pondicherry mm. uh, because that was like the capital of french territories in india um and my focus um my interest actually was is uh, 
driven by um, a desire to look at how people from different places interact with each other um, right. on, a, on a daily basis, you know, when they do not speak the same language, when they do not have the same background, when, when they wear different dresses or are of even different color, uh, you know, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, so how how does communication happen? happen whether it's in terms of trade or rule which i was looking at or just diplomacy for that matter um and all these three dimensions are sort of interconnected you know you cannot really separate them so this this is what i was looking at and um part of my uh, dissertation is of course devoted to uh, law and, mm. and rules, how rules develop within this context yeah. and uh, rules of government, rules about resolving disputes, what kind of laws uh, are then used, whether it is French laws or you know, Indian laws, although there's no such term as Indian law, at least there wasn't at that time. And yes. how, um, and, and the, the outcome of my research was to a large extent, it's not, uh, usually just the people in the position of rule who are right. driving this process or who are setting down laws and rules. It's a lot of it is also the outcome of how common people mm -hmm. use these rules, you know, for their yeah. own purposes and then uh, regulation, how a regulation results from that. So that this dynamic, this exchange uh, between people of different cultures, but also people in different positions in a society, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and the outcome of that and how it affects governance. One thing that, that I had discovered was, um, actually there's several things. So the yeah. one thing that, that, that I, I discovered was how, so we have a certain idea of, uh, you know, uh, women and men's role, mm -hmm. uh, gender roles, and mm -hmm. how they are viewed by law, okay? Right. Uh, and uh, so according to a certain law, women are supposed to do this, men are supposed to do this, or at least um, uh, when there's a dispute, women get have only a right to a particular uh, uh, share of the property, let's put it mm -hmm. that way, or, or inheritance or things like that. And usually, traditionally, in every society, basically, um, it's never been equal. Yeah. Women have always been uh, at a disadvantage in terms of inheritance. Uh, so, um, and this is the picture that we actually have of uh, in, that in olden times, you know, women's role was sort of they were uh, not individuals in their own right, or mm. even individuals who could um, possess property, you know, they always had to have a guardian, first their father or their husband or their sons, usually, right. you know, yes. that's, and that's not just specific to India, that's, that's all over the early modern yes, world, absolutely. You know? yeah. It's, yeah. it's a global phenomenon. So what I discovered was that um, this was not the case. In the period that I'm studying, so let's say I was focusing on late 18th century, the second half of the 18th century, um, mm -hmm. and I was looking at court records. Uh, mm -hmm. I was looking at records of disputes that over property, over inheritance, over dowry, over um, um, guardianship, 
of underage children. So these kind of, these are called like uh, uh, civil disputes. So I was looking at records of these disputes and like I was so surprised to find what an active role women were playing. Like, first of all, you won't even think that they would come to court and they would fight their case. But that, that was not true. So I actually came across a lot of women um, actors. In historical terms, actors are not what you understand by actors, but people who have some kind of agency, who, who mm. take an action, and mm. it has a certain amount of repercussions. So I was, I was seeing a lot of women litigants. First of all, mm. their presence itself uh, mm. you know, was, was surprising. Secondly, the way they argued uh, to have uh, to claim uh, stake a claim either in their dead husband's property or in their dead son's property uh, mm -hmm. within the given constraints of of uh, law law uh, indigenous law let's put it that way um that was uh, the other thing so they were very active and the way they were using regulations last thing was the way some of them even used uh, aspects or elements of French law. So that mm. is like a foreign, let's put it a foreign system of law, yes. but how they were uh, choosing rules from there to support their argument. And one tool this that they adopted was uh, writing a will and a testament. Having done uh, not that great of a research, but at least done an MA thesis, I do know that the whole process is highly transformative. It, it takes you through a whirlwind of, you know, sort of, be it emotions or be it, uh, I, I don't know, I know, I know you know it best, so I'm going to ask you that do you really agree to that statement and if yes then what has your experience been oh my god i mean totally like like uh, you're absolutely right uh, you're not a different uh, you are a different person you're not the same person as yeah. one who started the research exactly. i mean five years seven years down the line you're, you're a completely different person yeah. because you, you've gone through uh, i would say so many ups and downs but more than that, it's just, it's, it's like the sudden opening up of your horizons on mm. the one hand, and also uh, going deeper into a subject. Yeah. It's, it's both these processes that just leave you a different person at, at the end of it. On the other hand, it, it, I was forced to go really then dig deep into my topic, um, get to know more, um, for a long time, I had no idea what I was doing, you know, mm -hmm. but it's basically, there's only one way to go. You just have to go deeper, deeper, deeper. You just have to read more, more, you know, engage with your sources. And it's a different experience, but um, this in-depth learning is just, it's amazing. In the beginning, I was resistant to it because I didn't want to do it. You know, I felt like sort of lost, but once you start doing it, and once you discover start discovering stuff mm -hmm. like the one that I shared with you, then you just hoped that you just want to read a bit more, a bit more. What did, okay, what have the previous scholars said about this? But what do my sources say? So there's this constant uh, process of comparing. So I had in my uh, personal experience, there were these two phases in their own ways that left me transformed yeah. uh, in, in, in different ways through this social interaction and then through this just solitary um, experience, you know, yeah. which sometimes yeah. can be very depressing, 
The only thing is if you just hang on to it, then you do get somewhere. Sometimes, as you said, there are some really depressing moments. And this is something that specifically when I thought of talking to you, you know, I wanted to actually elaborate on this because this is something I think not many people talk about, but it's really a thing when you're doing sort of writing by yourself in a room, you feel so cluttered at one point. It, it really, really takes a lot of lot out of you. And uh, so I completely resonate to that experience that you say, because I went through a similar thing for me as well. It was a completely new field altogether with no idea and you're unprepared yeah. and you feel intimidated. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Because there's so many people around you who just, you know, who have done this, who know yes. uh, better than you, uh, what's yes. to be done, where to go, what to look for. Uh, yeah, uh, I think um, talking of depression, actually, I would like to talk about this because yes, I myself uh, faced it. Uh, okay, when I say depression, it's not clinical depression that yeah. we clarify. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I would just, but I'm using the term depression because just the feeling of being really confused and low. That's that's are, what even are, I mean by it. Yeah, you feel like you're in a hole and there is no getting out. Yeah, um, um, I often used to describe it because in in between uh, my dad, actually, who has been my biggest cheerleader in in pursuing this, you know, yeah. uh, after several years, you know, they they everyone starts asking like, why aren't yes. you done, you know? Yeah, um, and he 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 never he always questioned me like, what's happening? What he wanting to know you know, but it was difficult to explain to him because he has not been through this yeah. experience. At the same time, he was very understanding. Like he mm -hmm. always questioned me to drive me on, making sure that I have not become, you know, lazy or lethargic or, but also not, you know, not scolding me or anything. It was mm -hmm. like, like he was tough love, uh, mm -hmm. you know, yes. but whenever he used to ask me, I, this is how I would describe my situation. You know, the, you, do you know the concept of chuck review? Yes, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it's a bit like this. You you, you have entered. Yes. And then there, there comes a moment where you're bound to feel, okay, how do I get out of here? Yeah, yeah. So, and um, that feeling was what I faced for uh, more than two years, uh, I would say, uh, almost three years, like, you have come so far, you cannot abandon it, you know, but you just feel it's not enough to, it's not finished. It's, yeah. Your work is not finished. Okay. You cannot abandon it, but it's not finished. So, and you're running out of everything, willpower, energy, ideas, um, money, you know, all of this is weighing on you. And then everyone around you who has moved on with their lives. Lives. That's know, the biggest influence, yeah. I feel. They, they, they yeah. finished their two-year studies. They've gotten a job. They've gotten married. They've got children. You know, yes. children have started talking, walking. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and your life is, you know, just stuck at that at that same point. Um, you know, it, it's easy to say, yeah, don't compare. I, everyone has their own path and I respect that, but it's very difficult not to, especially when you're feeling low. So all of this adds to this um, depression, this feeling.
if I were to give any advice, uh, yes, you know, yes. I, uh, let me see. I'm not in a position to, because I don't think I handled it very well. All I can say is I came out of it eventually, you know, yeah. and I think it's really just um, a matter of time. You have to mm -hmm. give yourself time. Yeah. Uh, I think many of us make the mistake of adding to this pressure by repeating to ourselves, oh my God, I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. I've already spent so much time. I don't have enough time. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's only going to, it's self-torture mm -hmm. thinking that way. And that I learned actually from a very good friend of mine. You know, he was the one who, uh, who actually later on, like um, we are engaged uh, now. Oh, so, you know. Okay, great. Um, he he was the one who always said give yourself time give yourself time he himself is a brilliant scholar i mean he finished his phd like really quickly and and he's very gifted so having him also nearby yes. was <laughs> a, a blessing yes, but at the same time you can't help yourself you know comparing yourself to this yeah. person but uh, but that was my problem and in no way did he ever say always he always said you know just it'll take its time just give it time don't torture yourself don't torture yourself he is the only one who reminded me who constantly tried to tell me that it'll take time and i actually agree do not tell yourself oh my god oh my god what am i doing everyone is moving on i'm, I'm stuck in this uh, in this hole and i'm not moving no you're moving because this is also part of the process Yes, this really, this is, <laughs> I, I think uh, maybe not everyone will relate to it, but I can bet a majority of people will have gone through this, yes. would have faced these feelings and would have gone through this period either for a few months, maybe a few years, but they would have faced it. They would have had this experience. And uh, all I can say is just remind yourself, like even this is part of the process. Actually, it's a very big part of the process. It, it yeah. strengthens you like crazy. Yeah. I have come out of this entire experience feeling like, okay, I can take on anything. When I could go that down and climb up again. That how does the process you know sort of begin and what does what does somebody have to do if uh, they plan to take up a phd so um there are two things uh, you can if you've done masters in a certain subject it's not too difficult to enroll for a phd for the same right. subject okay you okay. can uh, the process is you just uh, depending on what university uh, there is a certain time in the year, you know, where you uh, you get the relevant forms, you fill them up and you submit them. Uh, but for a PhD, it's always advisable beforehand to be in touch with the professor who will then guide you, who will become your supervisor. And usually this takes place already at the master's level, because uh, usually people continue, continue on to do their PhD in the same university. So they are, they are familiar with the process, they're familiar with the teachers, with, with the professors you know who will take them on as phd students so this is what i have observed usually this is what happens uh, because master students then continue on at the same university so by then they already have an idea but without a master's of course it's impossible uh, you know to do a phd so in this case it's relatively simple um in, in, in the other um, case where you are new to a university, 
you know, then of course you have to get in touch with the professors that are teaching at that uh, department. And you already have to ensure a guide, like someone who will take you on. Because even getting uh, the admission is not enough. All your admission uh, process has to be accompanied by this assurance from a professor that the professor is taking you on as a mm -hmm. student, usually, mm -hmm. you know, this, this is the, uh, uh, this is the process. Now, getting admission, even when you accomplish all this, that's relatively easy. What is more problematic is funding. Because for mm -hmm. three years or five years, you know, how do you fund yourself? You're enrolled in a full-time PhD program, you know, you don't have time to do anything else or even work part-time, although it's possible, but which means you, you know your studies are just going to last longer. So yeah. usually you have to look for funding as well. Mm -hmm. um, in India, I have heard that now anyone who is enrolled in a PhD is mm -hmm. automatically paid a stipend. And I think okay. that's, that's a really good thing because yes. this is not just studies. It's actually by then it has become your profession. Yeah. Your research is your profession, you know, your professional yeah. researchers. So therefore mm -hmm. you should get paid for it. You know, yeah. you're not students. There, yeah. There's a difference. And, and I totally support that. I think this is, this is really great. Um, not many people realize this, but it is a full-time job. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, in uh, outside university, so let's say Germany, because that's where I've studied, uh, you don't get a monthly stipend. You have to apply. Mm -hmm for funding, uh, you know. Okay. So every university usually has funding bodies. So there are two kinds of funding bodies. One is specific to the university. So you, the university will set aside a certain amount of money to fund its uh, the brightest PhD students, okay? Right. And as an international student, you can already inquire, either read about it on, on the university website or inquire at the international office. Mm. that you're looking to do this but do this after you have already made contact with the professor and mm. your admission is more or less finalized you know then they sort of go in parallel uh, you mm. know but usually that first one has to be uh, assured before you start looking for funding you know right. so this one option is universities themselves mm. you know it's often not enough I think it's not uh, very well funded but still it's it's something you know yeah. so if you have if you fund yourself partly and you get this funding partly you know then then it's it's perfectly okay you'll manage um there's this then there is something um uh, uh, research funded by the german government mm. so the government offers money to researchers to do their okay. uh, research uh, it's called the DFK, Deutsche Forschung Gemeinschaft. Um, there, anyone who is interested in pursuing research can just uh, uh, forward a proposal, okay? But I don't think they, they, they fund PhD research. They usually fund postdoc research or project, multi-people projects. So mm -hmm. three people have gotten together, you know, they have three different projects, but which are part of a larger project. So you apply for funds for the three together. And right. under that scheme, you can, your PhD can get funded. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, but this is usually uh, done by, led by professors 
or uh, or researchers at the postdoc level who are working at the German university. It's not just anyone. You can be an international student, but someone who applies for you has to be part of the German mm -hmm. academia. Got that's it. that's the condition. Got it. Um, that's the second way. Third, and this is how this initiative at Heidelberg University was funded. Uh, this was this is called the Excellence Initiative, uh, where German government has like millions of euros in funding to mm -hmm. universities for mega projects. Like I think mm -hmm. under this initiative, we were like hundred people who were employed, if if I'm not mistaken. So we. It was really an institute. You're building an yeah. institute. So it wasn't, it was based at Heidelberg University, but the university did not give money. It's actually the money came from the government mm. because the professors had gotten together. It's very competitive. Uh, so professors of different universities, they get together, they write huge proposals uh, and then give them, submit them to the government directly and then the government decides which ones are the best and then releases the money to that university to for this particular uh, project and do you have to be uh, published before you actually apply for the no you don't have to be published no one expects you okay. to be published uh, before your phd that being said if you're published of course it will increase your chances uh, right. you know but you don't have to be uh, but what they do tell you is during your PhD, like my, my supervisor, she really pushed us to publish even during our PhD, uh, you know, because she says it just increases your chances afterwards to gain yeah. uh, funding. Do you know what's a microfilm? No, please go no. ahead. Okay, that's me. great. <laughs> so before, before the digital age arrived, yeah. um, me... Uh, you find microfilms usually in archives, okay? okay? And before scanners and before photographs or anything like that. So what, this was a way of preserving documents. It's okay. effectively, you take a photo of the document and it's actually on a roll. It's, ah, it's like- The, the camera roll that we used to have. Camera roll. Yes, Except yes. this is this is the document, and this can be exposed to light. Like you know, it's it's not it's okay. But you have special readers for that, so it's a roll like this, about this thick. Many hundred pages can go in it. You then fit it into the side of this machine, which has a huge screen, and then you turn it, okay. so it goes like a film, and you'll mm -hmm. be able to read the wow. letter. Yeah. You know, so it's like black and white. So you turn it, yeah. you turn it, and you. Taking a little bit of it off, I'm going to come back to the next question, but taking a little bit away from the academic background, how is it just staying in this place and what is the sort of, what are things that you know need to be kept in mind when sort of visiting Germany coming from purely a background of you staying there for so long? Um, actually, to be honest, I went there not even knowing the language. Mm -hmm. And I, and I felt at home, like there was, I really, I was, um, but perhaps that had also to do with the fact that I was in Heidelberg. Heidelberg is very, very special. It's very international. It's a university town. It's a beautiful town. Um, it's a very touristy town. I mean, I've heard that um, when Japanese tourists, they when they visit Europe, you know, yeah. all Europe, 
half a day, they are going to come to Heidelberg, even if it is for half a day. That's that's like a must-see place. Um, okay. So everyone yeah. should go to Heidelberg if they are there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gauri, for all of this. It's been lovely talking to you and it's been so, so insightful. <laughs> And I can't wait to share it. Thank you for thinking of this. Okay, let's interview researchers, not about their research, but actually their experiences about the research. That's just as important. And thank you for creating this platform where we can share this aspect of our lives. You know. <laughs> Thank you. Means a lot. Means a lot to me. As uh, someone doing this, means a lot to me. And yeah, yeah, I think it's very important to you know talk about it. And that's that's coming out of my own curiosity. So I'm glad. I'm glad it's coming the right way. <laughs> Thank you. I my my absolute pleasure. This was really fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, then do give us a follow and tune into our next episode as well. If you wish to watch the videos on YouTube, you can check them out at Karishma Connect and give us a follow on Instagram at Karishma Vallathe. Thank you again.